All right. If you have your Bibles, take them and turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Uh, for the next three weeks, we're going to talk about uh, an attitude of thanksgiving, gratitude. And, and we've got three different speakers. I'm going to kick it off this evening, and we're going to talk out of 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and, and look at the scriptures there. Uh, next week on Wednesday, I will not be here, but you're going to be in good hands next Wednesday night. Uh, Pastor Danny Morris is going to be speaking next week, and he's going to uh, bring the word, and he's going to stay on topic with thanksgiving and gratitude, and uh, pastor at the Valley Station Church of God for 22 years, and uh, you're in good hands. So come out next week and uh, enjoy the ministry of the Word of God as Pastor Danny brings it. And then two weeks from tonight, uh, the Italian... Uh, Dorothy Crosby is, is going to be speaking for us, and there will not be a dull moment in the house, I, I promise you that. Uh, we love to hear Miss Dorothy teach and, and speak, so she will also be t talking about Thanksgiving. And I know this is a little ahead of the game, but just so that you'll remember, so that you can plan, we will not have a Wednesday night service here the week of Thanksgiving. Uh, we never do, and that's so you can spend it with your families. Many of you will have families coming in from out of town and visiting with you, and we want you to be able to take full advantage of that. So uh, the week of Thanksgiving, we will not have a service, uh, but then the next Wednesday night, we're going to kick off a five-week series uh, with various speakers uh, who will be um, participating in that process and that will take us all the way through December, the end of the year. Can you believe that? I can't believe it. I must be getting old because it seems like time goes so very quickly. Now, to start our, uh, our thought process this evening for, for this idea of Thanksgiving, I, I would like for you to do something. If you have a piece of paper that you can write on and a pencil, or if you have a device that you can... Uh, uh, tap your answer into whatever, whatever works best for you. I want to ask you to answer this question and take just a moment to think about it. But I want you to identify the one thing, and there, there, it's possible that there have been many things, but I want you to identify the one thing that has been one of the most difficult things that you've ever had to deal with in your life. But now, in hindsight, and with a different perspective, you can look back on that and you can be grateful for it because you can see the fruit of that event and how it matured you and caused you to become stronger in your faith walk. So I'm going to give you just a minute and uh, let you write that down, whatever it is. You don't have to write the whole thing out, but maybe just write something that will, that, that will cause you to think of it. Because in just a few moments, after we've read the scripture and we've begun talking about this idea of thanksgiving, I'm going to ask several of you, if you would, uh, to share that information with us. And you don't have to get into the, you know, the dirty details if you don't want to do that. Uh, but you can just share with us 
that thing that happened that was very difficult. I mean, you may have thought, there's no way that I can get through this victoriously. There's no way that I'm going to be able to successfully navigate through this circumstance. And yet you did. The Lord helped you. And now maybe many weeks, many months, possibly many years later, you were able to look back on that situation and say, you know, I'm, I'm truly grateful that the Lord allowed me to go through that because from it I gained all of this knowledge, all of this wisdom, and I have truly matured in my faith because of that circumstance. So you, everybody understands what I want you to think about? Okay, I'm going to give you one minute. The clock says 716, and when it clicks over to 717, then I'm going to start teaching, okay? So I'll just be quiet, which is very hard for me. I, I don't know if I can do it or not. Okay, all good? Everybody got it? Good deal. Chapter 5, verse 12 is where we're going to begin. Let me give you a little bit of context and history about 1 Thessalonians, uh, the book of 1 Thessalonians, and the writer and what his intention was. The Apostle Paul wrote the, the book of Thessalonians to the church and to the people of Thessalonica. They were young, immature Christians. The church was young. They had not matured in their faith. And they were needing someone with some wisdom to give them guidance and direction as to how they should grow in their faith. One of the primary themes that the writer uh, takes them on and the journey that he takes them on has to do with the second coming of Jesus Christ. They were convinced that Jesus was going to come the next day because Jesus had said himself, I'm going to go away, but I'm going to come again. And they believed that that meant immediately, that they, they could never have even imagined that it was going to be as long as it has been. And so he was, he was schooling them and talking to them ab about these basic tenets of the faith. And so he's talked about all these things. He's coming now to a conclusion in chapter 5. And he starts talking to them about, uh, I, I call it a hodgepodge list. I, I, you can call it whatever you want to. But it's kind of one of those, how many of you have a junk drawer in your kitchen? Anybody? 
You, you know, you have those drawers where you have all your silverware laid out just right. You've got all your cooking utensils over here in this drawer. But there's one drawer in every house that it's just the junk drawer. You just open it up and you throw it in there and it doesn't matter how it sits. It doesn't matter if it's in any particular order because even if you do put it in some kind of order, it will get out of order in a, in a big hurry. Well, in this passage of scripture, scripture, beginning at verse 12, this is kind of the first Thessalonians junk drawer. It's just the apostle Paul coming and saying, there are various things that I need for you to know and some of them connect with each other and some of them don't. But you need to know it anyway. So let's begin reading at verse 12, chapter 5. It says, And we urge you, brethren, to recognize those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you, and to esteem them very highly in love for their work's sake. Be at peace among yourselves. Verse 14. Now we exhort you, brethren, warn those who are unruly. Comfort the faint-hearted. Uphold the weak. And be patient with all. See that no one renders evil for evil to anyone. But always pursue what is good both for yourselves and for all. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, and in everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Do not quench the spirit. Do not despise prophecies. Test all things. Hold fast what is good. Abstain from every form of evil. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. And may your whole spirit, soul, and body be preserved blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful. Who also will do it. Brethren, pray for us. Greet all the brethren with a holy kiss. I charge you by the Lord that this epistle be read to all of the holy brethren. And the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Amen. Now as you can see here, he jumps around from a lot of different subjects. He begins by saying that there are some individuals who are among you that have been placed over you in the Lord. He's speaking about the hierarchy of the church leadership. And he's saying, here's, here's how I would have you to relate to them. You should honor them for their work among you. In other places, he talks about uh, the expediency and the responsibility of church leaders over the body of Christ. And so he says, honor them. Give them the honor that they deserve, even when they admonish you. Well, I don't like that word admonish, do you? Uh, it, it was funny today, the, uh, the two grandgirls came by the house for a few minutes, and, and, and uh, their mother said, don't feed them any food. Don't let them take their clothes off. Don't let them do anything, because gonna, we're going to come by, get them, and then we're going to go eat supper 
and we, we don't have time to mess with all that. So we're, you know, we're trying to keep them out of the food and out of the, you know, keeping their clothes on and all that stuff. And so finally, mom, Erin, got there and Harper was not pleased because she had not eaten anything at our house. And so she's standing in the kitchen and she's expecting someone to drop some morsel into her mouth. And her mother admonished her and said, you better come out here now so that we can go or you're going to be in trouble. And little Harper came outside and when she did, she threw herself on the, on the deck and started wailing like a two-year-old would and because she had been admonished. And I thought to myself, how many times through the years have I as a pastor had to give uh, an admonishment to someone and instead of them taking it, and applying it to their lives so that they could grow and mature. Instead, they threw themselves on the deck and wailed like a little baby. So what he's saying is, is that you're still young in your walk with the Lord. Your, your faith has not matured to the same level as those who have been placed over you in the Lord. And so you need to, te- you need to honor them and give them a place in your life so that they can speak wisdom into you at times when you may be missing the mark. I don't know about you, but I've missed the mark many times. I've had to have other ministers who know me well say to me, Rob, you need to back off a little bit. You, you, you need to just think differently about this situation because you're not seeing all the perspectives that you need to see. And I could say, hey, look, I've been in ministry for 37 years. I'm an ordained bishop just like you are. I have the same rights and authority in the church as you do. And I could get this attitude about it, but I would not gain from the experience of having been admonished. Or I can say, you know, that's a wise uh, piece of advice that you've given me. I I should take that, and I should receive that, and I, I should work on that, and I can become better because of it. And so he's saying, these people in, are, are in your lives for a reason, and he says, esteem them very highly in love for their work's sake. And then he says, be at peace among yourselves. He he says, as as young Christians, it's easy for you to lose sight of one of the most important things in the body of Christ, and that is that we be unified, that we operate in a spirit of unity. Be at peace one with another. Stop arguing. Stop debating. Stop, Stop fussing. Stop griping. Stop complaining. Don't allow that to become one of the fruit that flows out of your life. You have a choice. And so he's saying, be at peace with one another. Now, verse 14, he says, now we exhort you, brethren, warn those who are unruly. Now, let me ask you again, who's he talking to here? Is he talking about just the world in general? Is is he down at Burger King just talking to whoever will listen No, he has written a letter to the church. And so he is talking to Christians. 
He's talking to people of faith. And he says, warn those who are unruly. So what he's saying here is, is that there are a few unruly people in the church. They're acting outside of the perimeters of what is right. And he says, warn them. Now, can I ask you, and I don't want you to answer it publicly. I just want you to think about it in your mind. Are we at a place in history where if we see somebody who is living in a way that they should not be living, are, are we at a place in history where we are no longer willing to engage them with Scripture? Would we rather just let it pass on by and let God do the work in their spirit that needs to be done? God doesn't work that way. He has put us in this earth to function as his representatives. I, I, I just have to say, and I'm going to try to not get on this for very long, but I, I just read an article today of a, a, a church leader, a female church leader, who has recently changed her stance as it per pertains to uh, the idea of homosexuality and, and Christian Christianity being able to, to be cohesive. In other words, you can not only be gay, but you can be Christian as well. Now, this, this is a very well-known female Christian leader who has taken this stance. And she has gone beyond just the typical argument of saying, well, uh, you know, they should be allowed to come to church and they should be allowed to worship. But she's gone so far as to say they should be accepted in every position of leadership within the church body. They should be able to pastor. They should be able to lead in leadership positions. They should be able to do all of that. And she has taken this very public position that is absolutely contrary to the Holy Scripture. The only way that we can justify uh, an active lifestyle of homosexuality it, it, the only way that we can justify it is if we take the Word of God and set it aside and say we will operate according to our own emotional guidelines. Now, what am I saying? Am I, am I against homosexuality? No, I'm not. You know me better than that. I feel like we should love everyone with the love of Jesus Christ. And we have opened our arms through the years to all kinds of people who come in with all kinds of situations. But nowhere in Scripture are we found, do we find that we should promote them within the ranks of the church to lead the church. Because that is going to keep them out of fellowship. That sin, that attitude will keep them out of fellowship with Jesus Christ. I'm, I'm sorry if you don't like that, if you don't agree with that. I would only say, tell me what the book says. Tell me what the book says. So what I'm saying is, is that the apostle here is saying, there are unruly people in the body of Christ. Deal with them by warning them. 
So we have a responsibility as the body of Christ. You say, well, isn't that being judgmental? Where did we ever get the idea that God does not expect us to judge our brothers and sisters in Christ? That is not a scriptural principle. Now, I can't judge the world because I can't expect the world to live a Christian lifestyle. I can't expect anyone who is not Christian to live like a Christian. How can they? They don't have Christ abiding in them. They're not connected to the vine. They cannot live according to Scripture because they don't have the Spirit of Christ in them. They are not Christian. So I can't judge them because they are outside of Christ. But when they come into Christ, then I have every right and responsibility to call my brothers and sisters on the carpet in a godly Christian way and say, you're being unruly as it pertains to Scripture and you need to rethink your position and you need to rethink your attitudes in this area. Now, I'm, I'm, I'm going to end with thanksgiving and rejoicing and you'll be glad about that. But we can't rejoice and have gratitude and this is the point. We can't live in a full spirit of of rejoicing and gratitude when there are issues that need to be resolved. And that's the reason he's talking about these things right up front. So he's saying, exhort those and warn those who are unruly. In other words, they are outside of the boundaries of Christian thought. Then he says, comfort the faint-hearted. Uphold the weak. And be patient with all. So what he's saying is, is that when we're dealing with each other, we have several categories. We have unruly people. We have faint-hearted people. We have weak people in their faith. And he says, be patient with all of them. Now, it, it, where, we, where we get off track is where we say, well, I'll just be patient. I'll let it, somebody else do the warning. No. If you have influence with someone, it becomes your responsibility to have the kind of conversation with them that will help them to overcome that thing that is causing unruliness to reside in their spirit. Now, they may not get it right the first time or the second or the third. And that's the reason the apostle says, be patient with everyone. If they're trying, if we are trying to, to grow up and mature and to cease to be unruly, then be patient with that individual. Be patient with everyone so that we can walk through this maturing process together. He says, see that no one renders evil for evil to anyone, but always pursue what is good both for yourselves and for all. In other words, he's saying, this is not just about me. This is not just about you. But this is about all of us. He said, do, do what is good for both yourselves and for other people. So it's not just about what will affect me positively, but it is about what will bring 
rejoicing to the body of Christ. Now, verses 16, 17, and 18. Here we get to the good stuff. You can, you can loosen your seatbelt just a little bit right now. Breathe a little easier. Getting to the good stuff. Verse 16, he says, rejoice always. Then verse 17, he says, pray without ceasing. That's kind of like saying pray always, isn't it? Rejoice always, pray always. And then verse 18, in everything give thanks. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus. I don't know what version of the Bible that you have, but I have the old Big Daddy back out tonight. This is my New King James Version. I, I read it all the time. I've got it just about halfway torn up. But I want to point something out to you. Go to verse, go to verse 18. I, I, I'm sorry. Go to verse 16. It says, Rejoice always. What is the punctuation that follows? Do you have a comma there? You have a comma in your Bibles? So it says, rejoice always, comma. Then it says, pray without ceasing, comma. Is that what you have? Then it says, in everything, give thanks. What do you have there? Okay, I've got a semicolon. How many of you got semicolons? I see. Anybody know what a semicolon is? It's a comma with a dot on the top of it. It's a semicolon. Your, your Bible should have a semicolon right there. So then it goes on, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. What do you have there? A period. So here, here's what the writer is doing. He's taking three different thoughts and he is grouping them together. And yet there are three separate attitudes and actions. So he's saying this. He's saying rejoice always, pray always, and in everything give thanks. Selah. Rest. And then he groups it all together by making this statement. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. What is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you? What is it? It's those three things. Now see, a lot of teachers teach that the only thing that Paul is trying to say here is just rejoice all the time. Just in everything give thanks for this is the will of God for you. That's not what this scripture is teaching. <clears throat> what this scripture is teaching is, is that we should always rejoice we should always pray, and in everything, we should give thanks. Now, let's walk that out. Let's say we're going through this difficult circumstance in our lives. Many of you may have thought of one of those things earlier. What is the first, the first attitude that we, that we should release when we're getting ready to face that circumstance? What is it? What's listed first here? Rejoice. We say, well, pastor, that's just stupid. You know, why would I rejoice first? Why would I go to the doctor and get a bad report and then say, well, praise God. Hallelujah. I, I, I don't think Erlene really knows how to take me all the time. A, a couple of Mondays ago, she came in 
she, she said, Pastor, you know, I, I, I just need to tell you that we had a really terrible financial day Sunday. She said it was just awful. She said one of the worst days we've had in a long, long time. And she gave me the report, and I looked at it, and she's just standing there kind of like waiting to, to get my response or whatever. And I just, I just said, well, praise God. And she looked at me like I'd lost my mind. She said, excuse me? I said, well, praise the Lord. I said, I might as well praise the Lord. I can't do anything about it. This just gives him an opportunity to inspire some people. And so I've had some people come up and say, don't you think you ought to start taking the offering again? No, I don't. Because I don't think it's scriptural. I think scripture teaches that men and women of God ought to make up their minds before they ever come to church that I'm going to pay my tithe. I'm not going to negotiate the figures. If my check was $552 this last week, I don't need a calculator. I'm going to write a check for $55.20. I'm going to put tithe in the memo line. I'm going to lick my envelope and take it to church. And I'm going to put it in the box at the back. I don't need some preacher up front begging me and pleading with me and manipulating me and saying, oh, please, 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 please give. Please give. Please give. If you don't give, I'm going to take three offerings today until you finally decide to give. That's not God's way of doing things. It's not God's way. We are to be obedient to what he has called us to do without somebody having to manipulate us and move us to do it. We just do it because we know it's right. And so we rejoice from the beginning. Lord Jesus, I thank you that you have given me the opportunity to face the devil eye to eye, lip to lip, nose to nose, ear to ear, and know that because of the anointing of God that I have in me, I'm going to overcome him every time because of you. I rejoice. That's what David did. I told you a couple of weeks ago when they sent Goliath out, and Goliath said, who's this little scrawny, red-headed, ugly kid that you're sending out here to fight me? Who is this guy? And David ran to the battle. He didn't stand back and say, I don't know. I don't know if I can do this or not. Oh, Jesus, could you please deliver me in some way other than this? I just don't know. No, the scripture says he prepared himself mentally and he ran into the battle to face Goliath. And he overcame. But he rejoiced first. Ask Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. You either bow down to our God or you're going in the fire. Well, I guess we'll go in the fire. Praise God, turn it up seven times hotter than it's ever been before because when the Lord delivers us out of that fire, it's going to be great glory to his name. Church, we're going to suffer for the sake of Christ. The apostle Paul said, I look forward to rejoicing in suffering in the sufferings of Jesus Christ. So that I can be resurrected together with him. Our suffering brings glory to Christ. And so we should rejoice. I mean, now I'm not saying I, yeah, every day of my life, life I just, I, I hope something bad happens to me today. I don't want to get up in the morning and say, I hope something bad happens. I don't want that. But when something does come my way, 
that is meant to derail my faith, I should rejoice in it from the very beginning and say, this is my opportunity to grow in my faith, to mature in my faith, and to give God the opportunity to show up in my life and be glorified through me. So he said the very first thing to do is rejoice. And he says, don't stop. Don't, don't. I'm going to rejoice for five minutes and then I'm going to worry. I'm going to rejoice for five minutes and then I'm going to cuss. I'm going to rejoice for 30 seconds and then I'm going to hit somebody between the eyes. I'm like, because see, when we, when we do that, we're not really rejoicing. We're just, we're just going through this mode or this method or this, or, or this exercise. But when it gets in our spirit, we won't even have to think about it. We'll just begin immediately to say, I didn't expect this. I didn't anticipate this. But it's not going to throw me off course either. Because greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. I have the power. We used to sing that song all the time in the church. I have the power in the name of Jesus. You remember that one? We've got the power in the name of the Lord. Though Satan rages, I will not be defeated. We've got the power in the name of the Lord. How many of you have heard, heard that one before? Four of you. Praise the Lord. Good. That's good. So he said, rejoice always. Then he says, pray without ceasing. Pray without ceasing. Scripture says, ask and keep on asking and you shall receive. Seek. And keep on seeking and you shall find. Knock and keep on knocking and the door shall be opened unto you. The process is clear all through scripture. Pray and keep on praying. Pray and continue to pray. So we think we're going to bother God, God. You know, it's like that other old song. It's me again, Lord. So, Lord, please don't let anybody ever sing that ever again. Got a prayer that needs an answer. I just, you know, just, we think that we're bothering God, you know. We think it would bother me if I were God and I had to hear somebody sing that to me. It really would. You know, just, just continue to pray. Father, you told me to pray. So I'm not embarrassed to approach you today. Lord, I've been praying about this for 20 years, but I'm not about to quit now. I've invested 20 years of praying, so why would I want to abort the process and the journey towards victory when I've already invested 20 years in it? I'm not going to quit now. I'm not going to give up now. I'm not going to stop praying now. If anything, I'm going to pray more strategically than I've ever prayed before because I am now praying not only with emotion, but I'm praying with knowledge and wisdom and anointing that I didn't have 20 years ago. So you better believe I'm going to pray now like I've never prayed before because I am better equipped to pray now than I was yesterday. I'm better equipped to pray about this matter than I was five years ago because I've had practice and I've been working on it. He said, 
pray without ceasing. Then he says, in everything, give thanks. Now, this is really where I wanted to get to tonight. He said, begin with rejoicing. Put in the middle of your sandwich prayer. And then close your sandwich up with rejoicing again in everything. Now, notice these words. He says, in. Now, if, if I were to say to you, uh, put the pickle in the jar. Do you, do you know what that means? If there's a jar sitting on the, put the pickle in the jar. How many of you would put the pickle on the outside of the jar and lay it on the countertop? Can I see your hands? All right. You wouldn't because you have an understanding that the realm that the pickle is to live in and reside in is in the jar. And so what he's saying here is, is that while you are in the realm of your difficulty, when you are under the influence of your hardship, that is when you should give thanks and rejoice. It is while you are in it, not after it, you start before it, and while you're in it, you increase the level of praise and worship. While you are in the fire, you are to be worshiping. While you are waiting, you are to be praising with expectation that the answer is coming. He says, in everything. Now, let me ask you this. How much is everything? If I were to ask you to give me everything in your wallet, how many of you would hold back a $5 bill just in case? No, you wouldn't because I asked for everything. You would, have, you would give everything. And that's what he's saying. He's saying, in everything, give thanks. And that was the source of my question earlier. What have you gone through in your life that in the middle of it, you were wondering about it, but now as you look back on it, you realize that it has raised you in a, it, to a level of living that you could have never achieved had it not been because of that circumstance. Let's just pause for a moment and see if there's anybody here that would like to share very briefly. You don't have time to write a book, but just say, the thing I went through was this, and here's what I have learned from that circumstance. Anybody want to share with us what you thought of earlier? Anybody? Yep, go ahead. Speak very loudly, please.
Amen. Somebody else? You want to share? Anyone? Yes. Well, do what you can. Beautiful story. Beautiful. Beautiful. Got time for one more if anyone would like to share. Anyone? It's amazing that, that these things that are really in many ways the enemy tries to twist to cause us to fall and, and to lose faith. Once that thing is overcome and it builds faith and we learn from it. And then as we face other things, our faith is just built faith to faith to faith to faith. And, 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 and we mature. And notice this word, he says, in everything, give. Now, if I were to say to you, Joe, I'm going to give you my phone. 
you'd probably say, well, man, that's good. I need a phone. I want a phone. I'd like to have that phone. That sounds like a good idea. I'm going to give it to you. I'm going to give it to you. I'd like for you to have this phone. I'm going to give it to you, okay? Will you take my phone? If I give it to you, would you, would you receive it? Okay, well, I'm going to give it to you. I pro- <laughs> you see, the only way that I can actually process that is to give him the phone. You know, I would have to literally release it from my hold and give it to him. I'm not giving you my phone, by the way. I just want to be clear about that. But what I'm saying is, is that what the writer is saying is this thing called thanksgiving is something we must give to God. We can't just think it. We have to actually give it to him. And the way that we do that is through attitude, but then through action as well. Our attitude is that our mindset is one of thanksgiving and gratitude. Lord, I'm so grateful to you. It's a mindset. But then our action, the fruit of the mindset is, is that it begins to bear fruit in our lives by our actions, our words, our thought processes, because we are giving thanks to the Lord. Now, as I close, I want to answer this question because I know that some of you might be asking this. Pastor, why should I stare my difficulties in the face, first of all, by facing it with rejoicing and then following it up with prayer and then ending up with thanksgiving. Why in the world would I want to do that? That makes no common sense whatsoever. Why? Well, let me, let me tell you why. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Those things that we've just talked about, it is the will of God. When we are in Christ Jesus, this is what he empowers us to do. This is how he empowers us to live. And here's the wonderful thing about it. Once you obey and give, it's like paying your tithe and giving in the offering. You can't outgive God. If you give to someone, the scripture says that you'll be blessed. Somebody will turn around and give back to you. The more you give, the more you get. The more you get, the more you give. And the more you get, and the more you give. And the more. And the same principle holds true to forgiveness. The more you forgive, the more forgiveness you receive. The more forgiveness for someone else. It is true. Sowing and reaping works in every area of our lives. And so he says, rejoice. Pray and give thanks, for it is the will of God for your life. And when you do that, you'll get more opportunities to rejoice, pray, and give thanks. Father, thank you for your word tonight. Thank you that we have the opportunity to control our minds and our thoughts and our actions and our attitudes. And that we can replace those negative feelings and those negative emotions with with attitudes and actions and fruit that will bring glory to your name. So, Lord, as we face whatever it is we have to face this week, may we do so with the knowledge that we can rejoice 
in the face of our difficulties and know that you will give us the strength to see it through. Thank you, Jesus. Go with us now and keep us in, in your care. Protect us as we move through our lives now. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. And amen.